You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We're going to talk about New Year's resolutions a little bit. Uh, From our passage today, uh, I think we can kind of gain some knowledge about how to set us up for the year 2024 to be successful. It may not look like uh, your typical success, but... Uh, We're going to look at what Scripture says success is and how we can orient our lives towards that. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this new year. Thank you for your faithfulness as we look back or maybe spend a little time in reflection. And um, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness, just like Timothy talked about. God, we we owe you everything. We... uh, I uh, admit that, we cling to that, we hope in that, that you are good and that we define good uh, from you and with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, or that you would give me uh, your, your truth to speak. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, just fair warning. I uh, got really sweaty in the first service. It's natural. I don't know what it is. I forgot my sweat rag. If you have a spare piece of clothing, just throw it up here if it happens again. Uh, we're going to look at Ma- uh, Mark. I almost said Matthew. Mark six fourteen through 29. And uh, through this somewhat odd and sad passage, we're going to witness and analyze the collision between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Herod. And that collision is applicable to us because it shows the ongoing battle that's still currently, presently taking place here in our city, across the world, and even within our own hearts. So my three main points are going to be uh, the cost of the kingdom, the collision of the kingdom, and the calling of the kingdom. If you remember before we started our Advent series, Uh, Oliver was preaching from the beginning of Mark 6. Jesus has sent out the apostles. They are preaching a gospel of repentance. They're casting out demons. They're healing the sick. And the the fame is spreading about Jesus' ministry. So in verse 14, we read, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The first thing that we see from this passage is the cost of the kingdom. I don't want us to get confused here. Salvation is free. Salvation is a free gift from God. But discipleship, following Jesus, is costly. You cannot buy or earn your salvation. But there's a cost to following Jesus. The lifestyle of a kingdom citizen is not one of ease and comfort. And I'm reminded of this um, with a little story about my, my dear brother Ben, if you're listening I apologize, but uh, we were playing basketball. We were on the same basketball team. Uh, I, was in, I was a freshman. He was a sophomore. We sat way down the bench. I was way farther down the bench. Uh, we were up a lot in this game, and at halftime, they put my brother Ben in, and if you know about basketball, at halftime, you inbound the ball, and they throw the ball to Ben at the midcourt line. He kind of takes a look around, starts dribbling. The crowd goes wild. They start cheering for him. The coach starts yelling. The players start yelling. Ben dribbles down just scores a nice, easy, uncontested layup on the wrong goal. He, he had dribbled. Yeah, classic. They switched sides, and he just dribbled down, and there, was, there were no defenders. There was nobody. I'm not sure what he was thinking. But he dribbled down and scored two points for the other team. And it, it shows, you, uh, shows you a lot about my brother Ben, but it also has some life lessons. Um, if you're evaluating your life, it's the new year. If you're evaluating your life, if everything in your life is going well, if it's all smooth sailing, you maybe are going in the wrong direction. The, the path of least resistance is very rarely the correct path to be on. The Bible is clear that following Jesus will come at a cost. This story shows us the collateral damage between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. John the Baptist pays the cost of his life for the kingdom. That's a personal cost, and it wasn't because John did something wrong, or he made a mistake, or he said something he shouldn't have said. He was speaking the truth. He was being obedient to God, and the result was that he was beheaded. He obeyed God's call in his life, lived as a social outsider, was imprisoned, and then put in death, bearing witness to the ministry of Jesus, which he was beheaded before he actually saw it come to fruition. And then the man that he was witnessing to, Jesus, was very shortly after crucified. And if we, if we look at this, the scriptures and the gospels and then the epistles, we see that John's life was actually a prologue to a book filled with chapters of the followers of Jesus being persecuted and killed. The cost of the kingdom is our lives. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Eventually, it was not to Jesus' disciples. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. 
I personally think about this figuratively. Now I read that verse, I'm like, yeah, that's a figurative thing. To Jesus' disciples and the early followers in the church, this was not a figurative saying. Jesus and the apostles all spoke of suffering for the kingdom. They expected suffering for the kingdom, and eventually every one of them suffered for the kingdom. The cost of the kingdom is suffering. It's our lives. Acts 14, 19 through 22 describes one of the many times, many times, the Apostle Paul was persecuted for following Jesus. If you read through his life, it's incredible how much he suffered for the sake of the gospel. This is one time. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Can you imagine Paul uh, getting stoned back then was not what you think of now. That was a joke. You're beaten with rocks until they think you're dead. And they dragged him out of the city after doing this and left him there to die or to be dead outside the city. And his disciples come and gather around him. He rises up. That may have been a miracle. I don't know. If I were him at that point, I would have ran the other way as fast as I could. Instead, he goes back to those people. He goes back and it says that Many disciples were made, and he strengthened the souls of those disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith by saying that they would suffer in a like manner. He, he said that they would suffer many tribulations. You've got to believe the guy who looks like he just got ran over by a bus when he tells you you're about to experience tribulation. I really don't like that. I don't want suffering in my life. I, I don't want suffering for my family. We have three little kids. We're expecting our fourth. Suffering is not something that I want to wake up and go out and achieve. But if I am following Christ, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I, I need to expect that in my life. And if there's no suffering, if there's no discomfort, if there's no, uh, if there's no collision between the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of man, in my life, I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm not following Jesus like he has called me to follow him. And I, I don't want that. A lot of times because my perspective is wrong. I'm looking for uh, comfort, looking for success, looking for a raise at work. What if our reward is in heaven. What if, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, this light, momentary affliction doesn't feel like it. What if it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison? I think it's easy to read this because it's a really common verse, but uh, yeah, suffering, I think of uh, we talked in our uh, volunteer meeting this morning about a, a young mom who just passed away. 
just two little kids. Uh, I talked to a member of our church, faithful member. His son-in-law just passed away. He had three boys, young boys. Uh, if your hope is in the here and now, you will be disappointed. If you're trusting Jesus to make your life perfect right now, your trust will be misplaced. It's not what we're living for. We look to the things that are seen if we're placing our faith in the here and now. But those things are transient. They're passing away. We look to the things that are unseen. Those things are eternal. With the wrong focus on our lens, uh, it can look like it's not worth it. Like if you read the story of John with an immediate focus, you read the story of Jesus with a temporal focus, they both got killed. That was not a good ending to their life. They got killed in their mid-30s. That's not a good ending to life. What if we have the wrong goal in mind? What if we have the wrong prize? We're working towards the wrong thing. If we're focused on the here and now, it's very easy to lose your belief. Because very quickly, your surroundings, the things that you see and experience, the news you read, will dissuade you of the promises of Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Christ. And we have to have our faith and our hope anchored on the unseen, the eternal kingdom that is coming into this world, and to Jesus, who will fulfill all promises. Eventually, maybe not here and now, maybe it'll look different than we hoped or expected, but he will. He is faithful, just like we sang about this morning. The cost of the kingdom is our lives. The collision of the kingdom, we, we see the collision of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Herod, bless you, with uh, John the Baptist's life, he really brought that into a very stark comparison. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Herod were very different. Uh, if you know much about Herod, Brian was a great Herod for our Christmas play. So great, in fact, that he made a child cry. <laughs> At least in the first service. Did you do that in the second service, too? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No? You did. You did. Which uh, is actually very realistic, because Herod the Great was a terrible guy. Um, Unlike Brian. Unlike Brian. Brian's a great guy. But Herod the Great, uh, in the Christmas story, he killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem just to, like, hope to kill Jesus. He had, like, ten wives. He killed some of them. He killed his stepmother. He killed some of his sons, all on, like, suspicion and stuff. He kind of bargained and connived his way into power with the Roman Empire by selling his... Uh, his, his mother was Jewish, so he had some loyalty with the Jews, but then he sold that out for power, and then he kind of passed on that legacy to his children. Not a nice guy. Can't believe you, Brian. Uh, Herod Antipas is actually the Herod in this story, and he carried on uh, pretty similarly to his father. He was very interested in his kingdom and building his comfort and remaining in power. He married uh, his brother Philip's wife, who actually is his sister, which John is, yeah, not only saying it's wrong because it was his brother Philip's wife, it's his brother, his sister. They're siblings, and they're married. 
Uh, so a lot of wrong stuff going here for Herod. He, he, was, he was divided because he had a Jewish background. His grandmother was Jewish, and they followed certain practices of Judaism. You take like a modern example. They would have been uh, Christians like us who maybe show up on Christmas and Easter and maybe donate to the church. They would say they're Christians, but the rest of the year and the rest of the week, they're doing very unchristian things. John was divided, and we see this in verse 20. I'm sorry, Herod was divided. Herod feared John, knowing that John was a righteous and holy man. Herod kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. The collision here between the kingdoms we're seeing in Herod, he's, he's fascinated. The things of the kingdom are tickling his fancy, but it's stopping at his ears, stopping at his mind. He's intellectually intrigued, but he's not doing anything about it. He doesn't change his life. Uh, I was on a, a bus ride one time in Argentina. I was traveling from Bariloche, which is in the very southern part of Argentina, up to Córdoba, which is in the center of the country. And it was a 23-hour bus ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't have any cell reception either, so I was just staring out the window. Until this guy approached my friend and me, and he was John the Baptist, or as much like him as you will find these days. He had a big beard, hair down his back, all dreadlocked together. He was wearing shorts. It was like 20 degrees. The shorts were made of camel hair. Just kidding. I made that up. But this guy was crazy, and he had the crazy person look in his eye, and he was so convinced. He was making his way around the bus, explaining these very uh, odd beliefs that he had. He, like, stared at the sun for a certain amount of time per day. He drilled holes through all of his shoes to stay connected to the Pachimama. He uh, believed in aliens that lived in the center of the earth and controlled certain countries' politics. He was a wild guy, and I listened to him gladly for 20 hours. Because he just, he told the funniest things. I was like, keep talking. You're crazy, but I like the way you talk. <laughs> and uh, he kept us entertained for 20 hours. And um, I think Herod is kind of like that. John probably came across as just this wild guy, and he had some intriguing things to say. Herod was interested by him. He was entertained by him, but he wasn't changing anything about his life. He wasn't making any decisions based on the truth that John was telling him. I think I'm a lot like Herod, uh, in this way sometimes. I hear, I come to church on Sundays, I read my Bible, I see truth in Scripture, I hear truth from the pastor, and I'm like, amen, good word. And that's all I do. I don't do anything else. And I think that the collision of the kingdom, we see it in the cost of discipleship, it's out there, uh, it's a cosmic battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, it's national, it's in our city, but it's also in our hearts right here. And every day, I have to choose whether I will live by the Spirit and work towards the things of the kingdom of heaven, or I will choose to live my life and work towards and build my kingdom and seek my comfort. Upon salvation, the Spirit is at work in you, building the kingdom. However, Paul says in Colossians 3, 
1 through 3, it's not all the Spirit. There's, there's a fine line here. I know we can uh, dice this up a little bit, but Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if the Spirit is at work in you, seek the things that are above. That's, an, that's a verb in the imperative tense. That's a command. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds, that's another command, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's, there's a choice there. You need to seek, and you need to set your minds either on things of the earth or things of heaven. You can't have it both ways. Uh, I want to think a little bit here. We, we talked about goals, New Year's resolutions. Um, I, I'm a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher. And this past week, I did a little exercise with my students where I taught them about SMART goals, um, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, timely, and like set up some habits, like what do we need to be doing on a daily basis? What do we need to be, like look at the week, look at the quarter, all that kind of stuff. And... I was really into it. My students, on the most part, weren't. They didn't really care. Some of them got into it, though, and it was, it was really fun because I, I have some pretty big classes, so it's hard for me to get to know all my students. But in working through these goals, I'm like, hey, let me see your goal. Let's talk about this. Like, how can we make this happen? I'm walking around the classroom. And eventually, I'm realizing that by looking at their goals, I'm learning who they are as a person because they're, they're talking about what they want to do but ultimately, they're telling me who they are. Because the things that you do on a daily basis eventually will be who you are. The things you work towards, the things you practice, your habits, will make you into a person. Don't think about what you want to be. Think about who you want to be. And, and we're the exact same way. We're just grown-up middle schoolers. Some of us are. <laughs> think about the goals that you set, or your habits, whatever you want to call them, Think about, like, look, if there are five goals and four of them are all about my kingdom and my work and my happiness and my comfort, and one of them is like, I want to get better at Christian stuff. Like, that tells me something about my goals and who I want to be and what I want to do. Let me, let me ask us some tough questions. Might have gotten mixed up. Yeah, your goals tell not only what you want to do, but who you want to be. How are you orienting your life? So looking at your goals, how are you orienting your life? You're on a direction here. How are you orienting your life for this year, 2024? Where do you spend your money? That's tough. If you look at your bank account, what are you investing in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Where do you spend your time, the majority of your time? What do you read? You're bored. If you're trying to get better at something, if uh, no one's around, what do you read? What do you listen to? What do you watch? Those things influence us, and they're slowly but surely forming us into our future selves. I realized this over Christmas break through uh, kind of a controversial topic here, eggnog. Uh, give me a thumbs up if you like eggnog. Everybody else can leave. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I didn't realize eggnog was controversial until I told my students I was drinking eggnog. 
and they about stoned me, like Paul. Uh, <laughs> I love eggnog. Me and my family love eggnog. And over Christmas break, we, uh, I get a couple weeks off. It's, a, it's a nice to be a teacher. We would just sit around the Christmas tree and pour up a big glass of eggnog and just knock that back 9,000 calories at a time. <laughs> and uh, it was in direct opposition to one of my other goals was to get in shape. So in the evenings, I'm just slurping down eggnog, and in the mornings, I'm trying to wake up and do pull-ups. You can't do a pull-up with a big old belly full of eggnog. It, uh, it's hard, to say the least. And I had to choose. It was a tough decision. Thankfully, whoever directs the supermarket suppliers made the decision for me, because eggnog is a seasonal product. And uh, they took it off the shelves, sadly. But it was good for me, eventually. And, we have to choose. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. I couldn't serve eggnog and do pull-ups. I had to make a decision. There's no dual citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You can't travel back and forth and be this person one day and another person that day and hope that eventually you'll work out some kind of combo of the two. Joshua in Joshua 24, 15 is talking to the Israelites when they're, they're trying to decide. Uh, they're, they're choosing some gods of the Amorites, some gods from over here, maybe some stuff from Yahweh or from Moses. Joshua says that they need to choose this day whom you will serve. It's a choice of who you will serve each day with your time, with your money, with your efforts. You only have a limited amount of each of those things. So you need to choose on a daily basis, which kingdom will you serve? Which kingdom will you work towards building? The calling of the kingdom, we see sort of in, in John the Baptist's whole life. He was, he was prophesied of in the Old Testament. We, we usually read about John the Baptist around Christmas time. Uh, we, we read about Zechariah and Elizabeth and then Mary, talking to them, all that kind of stuff. And the reason why that is, is because if you were a devout Jew in this age, you were uh, actively awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. You were hoping and praying and working towards the coming of the Messiah to rescue the people of Israel and to set you free. One of the precursors, however, to the coming of the Messiah was this foretold messenger. And he's foretold of in Isaiah 40, uh, Malachi 3, and Malachi 4. You've heard the voice crying out in the wilderness, uh, preparing the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Um, that was John. Before John's birth, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, like we probably talked about at Christmas. And he says to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son, but not only they're going to have a son, that son is going to be the foretold herald of the Messiah. Luke 1, 16 through 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John was called, he had a kingdom calling on his life to prepare the way of the Lord. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. When Jesus described John, he said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there have arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Which is both a very strong claim and a very confusing claim 
in some ways. Um, those are strong words because if you think about the history of the Jewish people, they had a very strong line of prophets. Uh, you think about Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha. These people were rescuing the Israelite nation from slavery. They were saving them from terrible kings. They were raising the dead. They did some incredible things. But Jesus somehow, for some reason, says that John is greater than any of them. The reason why Jesus says that is because of John's proximity to Jesus. He prepared the way of the Lord. He humbly, self-sacrificially, and faithfully unto death proclaimed the coming of the Lord. He was the greatest because he was the closest to Jesus. What makes someone great is their closeness to Jesus in the economy of the kingdom. So how then can Jesus go on in almost the same breath and say that the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least of us, if you, were, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're in the kingdom of heaven, the least of us is greater than John the Baptist. The reason why he can say that is because the least person, the least of us, has the same calling as John. We're called to prepare the way. We're called to be witnesses. However, you and I are better equipped to fulfill it. John was bearing witness to someone and something that he didn't fully know. The crux of the gospel, what we sing about and talk about and pray about, had not yet happened. John was beheaded before Jesus died on the cross and rose to save our sins, what we talk about as the gospel. John had not seen that take place. If you remember when he was imprisoned, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, hey, are you the one? Like, I, I want to see a sign. I want to know that you are the Messiah, the one who I've been looking for, the one who I'm in prison for, the one who I will die for. Are you the Messiah? John didn't know yet. He was placing his hope and his faith and his life in a very future promise that had not yet been fulfilled. He was placing his hope in the future. We, as current Christians in the kingdom of heaven, place our hope not only in the future coming kingdom, but we place our hope and our faith and our reason in a past reality. Because where we stand in history, Jesus has already come as a man, he lived a perfect life. He died the death to pay for our sins. He rose again. And, and that's a fact. That's a reality that we point to. We bear witness to what uh, generations of faithful believers have passed on to us. We bear witness to a Lord who has come to set his people free. And we bear witness to the incoming of the kingdom. It's still coming. There's still more to come. But we have seen Jesus through the scriptures, and through brothers and sisters who have passed that along. But we bear witness more fully than John because we know more fully. We bear witness to Jesus who already came, who paid the price, and who now sits enthroned on his throne with all power and authority at the head of the kingdom of heaven. And the calling of the kingdom that John served and that we serve is to bear witness. The calling of the kingdom is to bear witness. So whether 
you're John the Baptist out in the wilderness, or you are an accountant, or a teacher, or whatever you guys do for work. There's a lot of professions out there. Primarily, you're a witness. If you're in the kingdom of God, you are a witness. That is your calling. Your kingdom calling is to bear witness in whatever you do. And I confess that I don't do this well. Um, I, I look at... Yeah, I'm not up here preaching because I do this the best. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, that I, yeah, I, I want to confess that my New Year's resolutions, when I ask myself these questions, were a little alarming. I, I work on a daily or weekly basis mostly for my kingdom, if I'm honest with myself. And if I think about... Um, the desires of my heart, the kingdoms that battle in my heart, a lot of times I spend more energy and effort and time building uh, John's kingdom. Not John the Baptist, me, John. Uh, and I, I want to change that. I want to do better at that. And I, um, yeah, I look at John the Baptist, and I think that I'm a lot... Basically like the opposite of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was bold. He was a truth teller. He lived in a place that was super dangerous. And he got his head cut off. I'm, I don't want people to be mad at me. I want people to like me. I'm very scared of what people think about me. And I live in a place where no one is going to cut my head off. Like the worst that could happen to me if I talk about Jesus is like maybe I'll get fired. I doubt it. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not going to get killed. But I'm still scared. I'm scared of what people think about me all the time. Uh, and I, I want to change that. I want to grow in that in 2024. And um, something, someone, I should say, has been really encouraging to me, Trey over here, the Trey Young, shout out, Burn Boot Camp, um, Pelham Road, sign up, four-week trial. Uh, my wife works there as well. Jess works there as well. So I'm, I frequent the place. And I've been super encouraged, Trey, by your faithfulness. And uh, Trey's a trainer there, so he, he does the workout, he leads the workout, he's got the microphone, and at the end, he gives advice and wisdom on how to get better physically and set goals and measurements and all that kind of stuff. But he always has the name of Jesus on his mouth, in his mouth, on his lips. And in a way that convicts me every time that I'm there, because I'm scared of what people think about me. And Trey boldly preaches the gospel at his workplace in a winsome, helpful, uh, incredible way to me that is inspiring. And I, I really appreciate that. And I think that uh, the difference from, from us to a place like that is small steps. One at a time. I don't, you should ask Trey. I don't know how he, how he did it. But to take small, obedient steps on a daily basis that eventually will change what you do and who you are over 2024 2025, all these years to come, we don't know how long we're guaranteed, but you are becoming somebody. Take a, take a stand in who you will become. Take a stand in who you will represent. Choose today who you will serve. And I say that not, I need to do that. I say that to myself. In this new year, I want to walk more closely with Jesus, 
And if we look at scripture, the way that that happens is through suffering. And it scares me to pray to grow in closeness to Jesus because a lot of times it's going to mean suffering in my life. And I'm scared to pray that. I'm scared to want that even. But I want to lay down my life in following Jesus to pay the cost of discipleship. I want Jesus' kingdom to collide with my kingdom and my heart. I want it to collide with my neighbors and my city and this world. And I want to obey the calling that Jesus has placed on my life and all of our lives. And Paul, Paul has some really encouraging words here. Um, just as I think about uh, my fear and my uh, yeah, desire to please people and be liked and not be seen as that guy or whatever it is. Um, Paul is suffering and he prays in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He wants Jesus to take it away, that the suffering should leave me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I know that if I want to uh, grow closer to Jesus, experience his presence and his power, and hear his voice, if I'm living a life that uh, I can accomplish every day, like I go out there and rustle it up and make it happen, I, I don't need Jesus for that life, for that lifestyle. So if, if Jesus is truly my goal, and if Jesus is who I want more of in my life, I have to to live a life that if he doesn't show up, I'm going to fail. And if his spirit doesn't provide the next step, I will fall. And if I suffer for that, I will hear Jesus' voice saying, my grace is sufficient for you because his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's hard. That scares me to talk about that and to pray for that. But the, the prize is Jesus. And our hope is for the future kingdom that is coming. And we have to know that because there's suffering and there's pain and there's death here and now in this world. If our hope is here and now, we will be disappointed. But if we embrace suffering and if we trust Jesus... We will experience his presence and his power. We will hear his voice here and now in our lives as we seek to obey the call in our lives to bring the kingdom. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.